So I think the Apostle Paul points us to this. So this isn't just something that Redeemer made up or that we somehow, some we were taught by some guru or something. This really is something that's rooted in the Bible, rooted in what the, the early church fathers, those who walked with Jesus, the apostles, what they ended up teaching the church is that this matters. And so Paul instructed the church at Ephesus that the means by which we help each other grow up in every way in Christ's likeness is by speaking the truth in love. That there's in love we can speak truth. And Ephesians 4.13 is kind of where we're going to go here in a second. But it asks, what is truth? In verse 21, Paul says, the truth is in Jesus. In other words, if we're growing, if we're going to grow people up into Christ's likeness in every way, we need to learn how to speak the truths of Jesus Christ into everything. So I want to kind of, I want to read this. I want you to respond to this this, cha- this chapter in, F- uh, in Ephesians, chapter 4, we, a lot of times we go here and talk about the different uh, uh, gifts of the body. But looking at this idea of being fluent in the gospel, l- listen to these words. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner to the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2 says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 10 says that he who descended is from the one who ascended far from above the heavens, that he might fill, fulfill all things, that Jesus fulfills all things. Verse 11, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Here it is, though. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, with which is equipped when every part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This idea is that everything that we're doing as a church is to be growing up into the head, into Christ. And so, yeah, there's that, that's talking about different aspects of the church working together. But talking about being fluent in the gospel, how do you respond to that passage? Just saying there's a unity that we're called to, and that unity is Christ. And so is that easy for you to see Royce is it easy for you to see that the unity of everything or everything is unified in Christ I think this chapter kind of has some things that stick out to me that kind of I, I don't know the, the thing that really gets me right now is because we were just talking about kids growing up and how long it takes things to happen sometimes but you yeah. know that they eventually do uh, and, you know, that's how it describes us in this chapter is as children who are growing into Christ. And, you know, I think about, well, how long is that going to take me? Am I going to be, you know, 45 before, you know, I'm really getting to that point? 
And, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but the Bible says that we are going to get there, and it tells us to strive toward that. So it tells us to operate in the gospel, to, you know, build one another up, to speak these words of truth, um, because this is where we're trying to get. Now, when we get there, you know, in the grand scheme of things, probably doesn't entirely matter. It's the fact that that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I, I think the, the win is in his timing, which is interesting. We, we, uh, I've always said in Christianity, our entire life we are striving for something that we will not meet in this life, but in the next life. Like, we, we won't get there. We will continue to be sanctified. That 50 and 60 and 70-year-old Christians, God's not done with them. They can still learn. They they haven't yet learned what does it mean to see God change everything in the life of a 65-year-old. Now, last year, they, they, they learned what it was like for a 64-year-old, but now they got 65, and next year they have 66, kind of continue moving for that. And so I think that's a, a thing of do we understand that God's still working? He's not done with us. He's not, hey, all right, you got the basics. That's cool. You got your degree. You're done. No, it's a continued education in the gospel. I think that's really cool. What about you, Molly? Sure. So what stands out to me, um, the beginning part of what you were reading, I just love the picture that Paul paints of complete restoration. Yeah. Like what it looks like, that complete unity, and then all those fruits of the spirit that people are, are showing. Um, I love that. And then as for our coaches, there's just encouragement in there to be speaking truth yeah. into the lives of the people that you're coaching. Um, it's a, it's a commandment in this verse, you know, Yeah. commandment from the Bible that we should be speaking truth and, um, just walking through those situations, you know, focusing on the gospel and then looking at how we can show those fruits of the spirit. Yeah. So that's the theory behind this. And, and I really like the theory. I can kind of geek out on the theory. And we can kind of keep talking about it and, and, and going to different things. But to me, for this training, what I want to do is go, but what does that look like when you sit down across the table from someone? So summing up what we've all said is, when you sit down across the table, what you're to coach them in is the good news of Jesus. And sometimes we go, yeah, but what they wanted to talk about was their job. What they wanted to talk about was maybe they're struggling with anxiety, Maybe they're, maybe they're having health issues they're, and you're like, and so sometimes there's that we feel like, okay, we're, we're stepping in as a coach. I'm stepping in and all right, how do I help drive them and grow them up in, into Christ? And it seems like they're on a different subject. And so, and so do I have to trick them on to, to talking about Jesus stuff or not? And so that's what I want to spend some time doing. So what I'm going to do is walk through some different thoughts that I've, I've kind of gone through. And as y'all have, uh, questions or pushbacks or you go, man, I think that's difficult or give me an example of that. Or if you have an example of like, okay, here, here's a story about somebody's life. How do we apply this to this story? Let's get kind of application heavy and kind of do it going through this. Just, I think that'll be helpful for our coaches. So to me, the, the, the thing, the thing that unlocked a lot of this was I, I really, I really hated the idea of Jesus juking somebody. So that if Royce, you're coming up and telling me, you know, man, uh, you know what? I, I was a part of a hedge fund and all these Reddit people ended up causing us to lose millions of dollars on GameStop stock. You know, 
Let's say that that's what you come out and talk to me. I don't want to go. You know, it costs Jesus a lot to come down and down. Like, I don't like, it's just, there's a terrible, you know, like, uh, like I literally follow an Instagram called Kristen memes. And that's like half of the memes are, are these terrible transitions between that. Molly, I know that the way that you're so gracious and kind and gentle, mm. I'm sure your whole life when you've heard these, you've, you've really just graciously understood people are trying to really make much of Jesus, right? Yeah. I've never Jesus duked anyone. Yeah, that's good. You're you're just too real. You're too real. Right, right. So, but what's the? But really, we are trying to Jesus juke them. And actually, the I think the thing is, is I think the the problem with the idea of the Jesus juke of going taken from one unrelated subject to Jesus. The the theology we just talked about was actually there's no subject that's not Jesus. And so I think sometimes we're like, oh, we got to drag you over to talk to you about Jesus. And I'm like, no, 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 Jesus is right there. And so the, the thing that helped me unlock that just practically was understanding that most of the time people are having a conversation about the wrong thing. So they're telling you a story, but there's some question that's behind that story that is driving it. So, so if somebody comes up and says, man, I'm having a hard time with my boss, you think the conversation is, oh, my boss is bad. There's something going on behind that. There's a question that's going on behind that. And so uh, to me, I, I thought it would be helpful to kind of look at what are the questions that sometimes are lurking behind whatever subject gets presented. So my boss is being a jerk. Well, one of the questions I know that, 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 that lies below that, lies below, behind a lot of these, these, these presented stories, the first one is this. What identity will this situation affirm or attack? And so when somebody's telling me about their boss who's giving them a hard time, who's, who, who's not giving them the, 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 the information they need or they're not giving them a chance to be able to complete a project, a lot of time what's going on is they're going, my boss is making me feel like a bad worker. And I'm a good worker. I work hard. I don't, I'm not feeling appreciated. See, there's an identity behind that that's being attacked that's being attacked. And so sometimes I listen to that and, I, and, and I'll ask that question of, my boss just chewed me out. And I'm like, I, that sounds terrible. I mean, you want to be compassionate. And I go, but what if they were right? What if you actually did mess up? What does that mean? How would you handle that? And you start getting into questions that are a little bit more Identity. Does that first one kind of make? And so a lot of times stories are attacking or affirming an identity that they have. And that gives us the access to be able to talk about who Jesus says we are. And so Pastor Paul and I have this list that says in Christ we are. And we, we keep it actually in our Bible. We, we look at it all the time because so many times a, the, the people are going, I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not. The, and the Bible goes, no, Jesus finds in you his true, his true love. He, 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 he calls you my beloved. We are beloved in Christ. Well, when your boss is calling you a jerk all the time, you don't feel loved. And so we can end up speaking the gospel into that situation and under, and understanding that. So does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I, I really like how you phrase that question of, you know, what identity is this attacking or affirming? Yeah. So I met with a girl a few years ago and it seemed like a lot of our conversations were revolving around her marriage. 
Um, yeah. She just didn't feel supported or um, mm. and maybe seen. Um, mm. And so a lot yeah. of it came out with, man, I'm doing so much and I just don't feel like there's a ton of support. And so as we got to sit down and talk through that, you know, answering the question, what identity is this attacking? It, it was similar to the example you just gave of yeah. where this, you know, sense of worth that she's feeling attacked. Like yeah. she doesn't feel worthy. She doesn't feel seen. And so then we get to talk about, well, you know, Jesus has declared you worthy. Yeah. Jesus sees you. He ap- appreciates what you're doing, you know, the, the fruits that you're creating there. Well, and, and the trigger that I heard when you just said the story was, I'm doing so much and I'm not seen. And the truth is, you don't have to do anything to be seen by mm. God. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, I, I wish you were. I, I wish those things were like, and you. T- I, this is not about telling them they don't have a clue what they're talking about. It really is it's helping them kind of dig deeper into what's going on because the, sometimes the answer to uh, to a woman whose husband is not paying attention to her is, is like you can't make him. I mean, th- that's yeah. the hard thing. That, that the hard the hard part about just giving advice is sometimes the advice doesn't work. Advice fails. Hey, you can try this. And and I'm not I'm not bad about giving advice. I think advice should always be rooted in truth and and, and gospel gospel principles, but. Advice fails, but we know that the gospel doesn't. And so when you started going, this is your identity, you can trust Jesus that his, the identity he's given you, he affirms in you no matter what you've done or what you do. So, so did, you ha- did you help her get to that? Did, you, did, did she, how did she respond when you started kind of digging in to that kind of an identity aspect for her? Yeah, yeah, I think we did get there. I think it took several conversations. It wasn't Great. just yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it wasn't just one night and there's the answer. Um, it yep. was a slow process getting there. Yep. But in getting there, in identifying more of the root issue, that's where these little pieces of advice about you know maybe mm-hmm. communication with your spouse can be more effective because then you can take it to your spouse and say, "Hey, I think I've been harboring some feelings, and it's really rooted in." this identity that I feel attacked. Um, And so I'm sorry that I've been acting that way. Um, You know, I'm working on this with Jesus and and I want you to know that. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to run away. Like you said something really, really good. This is slow work. Advice is quick work. And, and sometimes advice we can cut off from listening. And it sounds like you did a really great job of listening to that woman and hearing her story. And don't forget all the other trainings that we have in gospel to coaching that says, no, we, we're, we're, we're people who listen. We're people who show value and show honor by listening to people's story. And so that's a beautiful thing that, that you did to be able to do that. And it really does get to that idea of what is the, what is the reconciliation part look like? It looks very different than at first the rec- reconciliation part was like, well, it looks like your husband needs to get his act together and notice you, which that's true. But you can't make that happen. She got to be able to own her identity in Christ and be able to respond to that. So that, that's great. So I think there's a lot of time an identity question that's going on. Um, to me, the, to the, the second one, there's, there's a, this is a little bit related to it, but to me, the second one is the idea of a functional savior. And so many times when we can hear a story, listen to see who the hero or who the savior or, or who's the failed savior in that. 
Because a lot of times we can end up looking to others to be what only Jesus can be. Uh, the one I've run into this most, the most in my time, because I was a college pastor for 10 years and, and, and we still have a lot of college students at our church. And so in talking with single people, many times I've watched single people come up and, and they'll share heavy burdens, heavy burdens. And I listen as I'm listening a lot of times what is under and behind that. And sometimes it'll come out uh, uh, with a jealousy or sometimes it'll come out, well, I don't need anybody else. And, and, and what I'm starting to hear is they think that getting married is a functional savior for their life. I think us married people are sometimes the worst people who perpetuate. We're like, dude, just get married. You'll be fine. You know, like, and, well, no, hold on. That's, that's a false gospel. That's not true. Why are you laughing so much? Yeah, right. Yeah, Why are you laughing so much? Uh, no comment. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think there's a problem of, of, of sometimes we provide other saviors. Sometimes we're like, well, let me just give you the right Bible verse to say to that person. And we're like, oh, if you just say the right Bible verse, that's going to be a functional savior. And so a lot of times I think we have to listen to kind of fun. If there's, is there something that they're running to for salvation in this that's not Jesus? Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that, that kind of ties in, which identity does too, but it, it ties in a lot with a couple of different guys that I've gospel coached okay. who you know have been, we'll say, unhappy in their current job or – you know, unfulfilled or just uncertain about kind of career direction and yeah. thinking, you know, there's this, you know, other opportunity that's out there. And if I can just get that, then my life is going to be yeah. fixed. Yeah. And, you know, potentially it could be great. Uh, potentially it could not be great. And, you know, bringing it back to, you know, is it really that job that's what is, yeah. you know, the most important thing? Um, you know, what, you know, what does that do for you as a person or a Christian? Yeah. You know, it gives you a place to go. It gives you a paycheck. Um, you know, but really what's driving who we are? You know, yeah. what what makes you want to have a job to provide for your family? Or, yeah. you know, what makes you want to, you know, have an impact on people? You know, we are changed by Christ, you know, to have those desires or you know, to, to want to work hard. Well, and to me that you brought up a great one when I'm talking to people about kind of planning their life or kind of a long-term plan, which I actually think there are healthy. Uh, that's a really healthy thing. I actually think it's a godly thing. I think God gave us uh, a reason and it, like you read Proverbs, it gives you wisdom of how to live life. And I think those are good things to make plans, but sometimes we can actually raise that plan up too much to be a functional savior. And if you just do this, if you just get this job, or if you just do this, and to me, when we do that, that what I've always said is, uh, to me how I've always anchored that and kind of challenged that functional savior in that situation is going, but whatever job God has before you to go and to plan to do, God has placed you right here. God loves you right here and you can make much of him right here and go, the problem with a savior, a functional savior of the future is it has limited power. It can't, its power can't work in the present. But Jesus has promised to be here. He was here yesterday. He's here today and he's forever, 
And so I think that's a that it, it's it's this hard thing of going. No, I want you to have a plan. I want I, I want you to go find a good job. That that's a great thing, but don't let that become a functional savior. Okay. the The third question I have. This is a dangerous one, but um, uh, because. I think it is so prevalent. So it, it is dangerous because you're going to see it. But this is the thing as gospel coaches, sometimes we see things before the people we're coaching sees them. That's just because we have a different perspective than them. That, it's just, that's why we all need somebody else speaking to us. We all have blind spots. Uh, pastor uh, Jacob at our, uh, at our pastor's meetings, we sit around a, a table and it, we always talk about why is God given Redeemer five pastors? And, and Jacob does it probably once every two times he goes, he goes, Andy, because I can't see behind me right now. You're looking at me and you see behind me and so you're watching my back, but I'm looking behind you and I'm watching your back. And I just love this beautiful picture that we're, 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 we're caring for one another. And so just because you see this doesn't mean, oh, you got an upper hand because there's, they probably see in you what you don't see. And that to me is called heart idols. We have heart idols. We have things that we worship rather than worshiping God. And so I think a lot of times there's a heart idol that's going on. There's something in their story that you can hear that they're worshiping that's not God. And usually, I I love this old definition of of idols. Idols are good things that we make God things. To me, in, in suburban Norman, Oklahoma, we talked about schools a little bit earlier, I think people who have kids, one of the things that I see all the time is I see a bunch of people running after and idolizing their kids. Are kids bad? No, kids are great. Kids are good. But if you make kids your God, what you worship, it'll hurt you and it'll hurt them. And so it's a very dangerous thing. And so we have to look behind that. And the best thing I've ever heard about how do you find, uh, how do you see people's idols, their heart idols, those deep idols, is what are they defending? Tim Keller says, that which we defend, we worship. And so Molly, whatever you, so think about this week, whatever you've defended, is there an idol behind that? Is there something that you're worshiping behind that? Well, no, but I'm doing a good job. Oh, so is that what you're worshiping? That I'm a good worker. I do a good job. I've got it together. I don't forget things. Oh, hold on, but I was nice. Now I'm speaking of my, most of the time, my heart, heart idol. I'm like, oh, so you think if you're nice, then you're a good person. And if you, as long as everything should be fine, as long as you're nice and everybody likes you. And so to me, there's this idea of, of what are people defending? For a coach, it can sometimes trigger to you a heart idol. Here's the thing. If you immediately run to that heart idol, you're probably going to diffuse the conversation. And it's going to be much more like you said, Molly, a long work of kind of going, well, why are you, why did that make you so upset? Well, because I was right. Well, what were you right about? And it's kind of the, sometimes it's just asking these questions and helping, but I don't know if you've ever done it. I, I, I've done it. I've run there. I've made that mistake and run there too quick and gone. Well, Royce, what you're really struggling with is safety. <laughs> and and what can happen is there can be you're you're attacking someone's idol. They're going to get defensive again. 
Now, hopefully, if you have a good enough rep- rapport, you can, you can kind of get through those hard times. And so sometimes it's okay. I've had some people, you know, just sniper me in the middle and like go, yeah, you're just struggling with people approval and then walk out the door and I'm like just wrecked and, you know, on the floor. It's okay, but we, we want to be careful with that, that, that it's sometimes not going, that we don't go there too fast. Does that, does that make sense, Molly? Yeah, it does. And it actually, it reminds me of a sermon or sermon series you did where you talked about those idols and you listed mm-hmm. several of the really mm-hmm. common ones. Yeah. So people approval was one of them. Yep. I, yeah. I think I remember control. Yep. Um, I may have related to that one. And then <laughs> I want to say security or comfort. Yep. Comfort, comfort was another. Yep. And then power. Power. Okay. The idea of many times we're like, well, no. We worship power. We go, if if I have the status, if I have the money, if I have whatever whatever kind of power it can be. And then, so I always, it's power, acceptance, control, and then safety, security, kind of uh, a, a comfort, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and comfort. And so I think a lot of times that's the sneaky one, the comfort one, uh, because comfort can be, I'm just protecting the status quo. Like, I'm just going to, mm-hmm. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to rock the boat. And so people have kind of walked through that. That that one's kind of like, well, why didn't you say that? Do you think that that's right? And really what you find out is like, they're really scared to go, I, I can't make any waves. If I make waves, I'll lose, lose this good thing. And they're really worshiping that. So I, I think that's a, 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 that's from Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. It's, it's great. Okay. Um, uh, that's uh, the, the four G's goes into that too. So, um, but what we're doing is, and, and as we're kind of kind of coming through is that, that we're constantly taking the people we're coaching through the process of confession, repentance, reconciliation, and restoration. And I think many times we short circuit it. When we just give advice, we're jumping to restoration. Well, let me tell you how the, let me tell you how to fix that. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we're in crisis and we're just like, man. And so sometimes they're like, I just don't know what to do. Uh, I remember a student came to me at, at OU and was like, my professor is a complete moron and, and told me all this stuff. And I was like, it was terrible stuff. Like, I, mean, I was like, that's terrible. Like, it, like it was verifiably, those are terrible things that that professor did. And I go, well, have you talked to him? He's like, no. And I'll go, I said, have you had a good day? And he's like, no. I go, maybe he's having a bad day. I go, you know, professors can do that. And he goes, oh. And I go, maybe when you walk in, maybe go, hey, is this a good time? Hey, do you have, do, do you have some space to talk about something? Because this is pretty serious. And he took that advice. And the conversation went really well. And, and they 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 reconciled some of those things. The better conversation with that student was when he came back and goes, why did that work? And you go, okay, so yeah, like I gave you some good advice, but hold on, there's a backside of that of why did that advice work? Well, I said, you felt dishonored by him. And truly, if you went in and dishonored him, he would feel dishonored by you, then he would show dishonor to you. And I go, really, you end up giving honor even when you're dishonored. It has a way of transforming. And he goes, really? And I'm like, yeah. I go, that, I'm a pastor, and that's actually what I believe Christianity was doing, is that we sinned against God, but God loved us while we were yet sinners. 
And I got to share the gospel with them and go, that, that's kind of the, the, that's why this advice works. So once again, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not down on listening to people and having good, and, 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 and talking people through, uh, um, or giving people kind of good action steps. But this process, I think, ends up being a discipleship element walking through each one of these processes. Does that make sense? Well, and I think it, it addresses the heart issue too. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. that's, that's what you're saying. You know, rather than just giving mm-hmm. advice, you get to walk through this process, mm-hmm. address the heart issue. There's sanctification happening there. Yeah. You get to see the restoration. You don't just, or you get to see the redemption. You don't just jump to the restoration. Yeah. You get to be reminded of that we're fallen people in need of a savior. Yeah. Um, and I love that part of this process. Well, and you get to celebrate each one of those steps of the process with the person you're gospel coaching. Celebrate their confession. Literally, the Bible says the reason why we confess is because the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And so when they go, man, I think I'm really struggling here. And you go, man, I'm so glad God's working in your heart. I'm so glad God's revealing that to you. You've probably struggled with that your whole life, but now he's working and saying right now, you can deal with this and you can confess. And, and uh, uh, one of my uh, Presbyterian friends always says uh, that the, when it says, when you confess with your ha- mouth and believe in your heart that, uh, or what you confess your mouth, he is faithful just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, it's fascinating. The things that we keep in destroy us. And the moment we speak them out loud, God promises his grace is enough to, to care for us. Well, that's about confession. That's that first step. And we can celebrate that and say, hey, God's working through you in that. And like you said, you go, hold on, don't just run to the end. Let's see what God's doing and how he's kind of caring for you. Because I still say the big the the, the big way that I've watched um, short-circuiting this process and not kind of walking people with the, the understanding of this is all a picture of the gospel is good advice that falls apart. Good advice of a couple of goes, and my husband left me, and now we're getting a divorce. Well, if the only good thing would have been telling her the right thing to say to be able to keep her marriage together, well, then that failed. But that good thing that we talked about was actually her realizing who God had called her to be and expressing that to her husband. And when her husband rejected that, she still had her identity in Christ. And, and, and so I think that's kind of an important um, I think it's an important aspect. And, and then to me, I don't ever want to forget the work of the Holy Spirit in it is that the Holy Spirit work. This is what the, the work that the Holy Spirit does is he walks us through and shows us how each one of these things are rooted in the good news that Jesus saves. So the, the last kind of, um, uh, I have two more points, uh, that, that, that I want to kind of end with, and uh, I'll kind of hit these two quick, and then you can kind of ask me questions if, if they don't quite make sense. I think, they, I think they're self-explanatory, but help, help me kind of see through this. I think the best tactic to practice gospel fluency in a gospel coaching situation when you're sitting there talking with someone is making connections to Bible stories. Go, oh, that's a lot like Melchizedek. That's a lot like, and, and even kind of going, when you hear a story, this could actually be after you listen and you comfort the person that you're talking with and you're like, hey, praying with you. That week afterwards, you got to go, man, there was a, you know what? I remember that story of 
when David didn't take out Saul because God hadn't made him king yet and he could have killed him, but he didn't kill him. I remember that. That's kind of reminds me of you and your boss and kind of coming back and telling those stories of the Bible and seeing how they, how the Bible really connects with the, the, the stories that we're living because the Bible is shaped in a gospel form. And so if you're going to be fluent in the gospel, if you're telling people Bible stories and, and I really think my wife is amazing at this, like, she just is constantly, every time we have a problem, she's like, you know, that's a lot like, and she starts telling stories because her, the way that she memorizes the Bible is through story. She's very narrative in how she memorizes the Bible. Not really, she, she's not like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to word for word uh, quote you 10 scriptures. She's going to weave a story and go, oh, hey, this is what was going on and tell a narrative and be able to do that. So have you, what is, when I say that, what is, does that make sense, Royce? I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. But, you know, you and I have talked a lot about stories and, you know, various books and things that we enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, one of the coolest things about the Bible is there are all these stories of people who just completely mess up their life and mess up all kinds of things. And, you know, so many of them are stuff that I'm like, yeah, I've been there. I've Mm. done that. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, in all those cases, you get to see the process, like this whole process in that story in the Bible, you get to see, you know, either where they're brought to confession or they come to confession, you get to see their repentance. Um, You know, you get to see their reconciliation and their restoration. Like you get to see all that in the Bible and you can say, you know, this guy is a, you know, hero of the Bible, but you know, he messed this up and you know, God cared about him or, this guy has three lines in the Bible that, you know, maybe he doesn't really matter so much, but, you know, God cared about him too. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the, like the one I use, like I have a few of these in my pocket that I use all the time. I probably overuse them. I don't know if I've ever used them with either one of y'all talking, but uh, one of the ones I use all the time is people tend to talk to me about how they're being impatient. They want something to happen and it's not happened yet. Um, and I go, have you ever thought that Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years? That blows me away. Like he was not where he wanted to be, not where God had him to be, not, not seeing the things that God had for 40 years. I still go back to, I really had three years where I really struggled at the end of my college ministry. I was like, I love what I'm doing, but this isn't where God has me. And I felt like God was moving me somewhere else. He, he really, eventually he was moving me to plant Redeemer but I just didn't know. And I think three years and I'm like, man, that three years was hard. I'm like 10 months of a pandemic. This is hard. I go 40 years. 40 Whoa. Years. That's, that, a that's a heavy thing. And so you have those stories that you kind of hang that on. And so I, I think that's, I think that's great. Molly, what about you? Kind of Bible stories and stuff like that. Does that, is that how, what, what's the day, what, what's, a way that we can mess up with that, or do you think, and not use it well? You're going to have to cut out that part because I don't know. Okay. Well, no, I'm just kind of going what, like, <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a silver bullet. It doesn't do everything right. And so I think sometimes you can, sometimes you can miss on a story, and you can kind of tell somebody a story, and they don't know that story. And so I think sometimes you, you kind of have to throw it out there with a lot of humility. It's kind of what, that's kind of where I was thinking. It was just going, 
because sometimes you're like, I tell a story and you're like, that that's not what it. That, yeah, that, that doesn't mean anything. Or there's either. some other detail in the story that they get hung up on. And it's like, well, I'm not, you know, yes, whatever. Yes, yeah. Y- yeah, it's not a one-to-one thing. Yeah, and so I think and sometimes you kind of get a little bit hung up with that. And so the kind of, so I'm going to uh, probably cut all that part out. So Great. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, your part, just go in there. Um, the last point I want to make, though, is talking about that gospel fluency is evangelism. That when you're telling somebody that the gospel is for them in their life, you're evangelizing them. You're saying what Jesus did on the cross matters for you. And so I think at times there are a lot of people who are affiliated with church, culturally connected with church, but the idea that Jesus death on the cross, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection affects what they're doing today. That, that's evangelism. That, that I think so many people kind of go, well, that was 2,000 years ago. But we go, no, it matters today. And so I don't want us to look at this and go, gospel fluency is kind of some kind of trick. No, it, it really is us seeing that our story is woven into the story of God. And the other, the, the, the other aspect I'll kind of point to that about understanding that it's evangelism is because I think one of the hardest things for people to understand is everything's not about them. And so gospel fluency, pulling them into God's story where they're seeing the redemptive arc of all creation is really helpful for the people because here's the thing, when I'm in crisis, the whole world revolves around me. And so when you start got, when you start talking to me in gospel fluency and it reminded me of that, I go, yeah, th- this is this is actually about God's story throughout all time. I think sometimes there will be people who will profess themselves to be Christians and really what they're what they they have is a moral code that they live by. And I think this is a point of evangelism when you go, actually, your story is actually just the reflection of the ultimate story of Jesus reflected through you. Does that make sense? And so to me, it's a very loving way to say, hey, it's not all about you. It's like, well, no, all the things about you, that's actually playing into something that's more important, that's, that, that's bigger, that's actually eternity, not, that's not temporal. And so I think that that's something that I, I think gospel fluency can end up helping us in evangelism to be able to tell that story. Any questions that you have just about this idea of gospel fluency, of telling the story of God in the, in the stories that we have with the people that we're coaching? I don't have any questions, but I want to make sure that people know that if you do have questions, um, yeah. just feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to, to walk you through it. Yeah, I, 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 there's a lot of great resources in this. That term gospel fluency is a Jeff Vanderstelt book. There's actually a website there that you can go, and, and there's a lot of good resources there if you want to kind of dive further in there or if you just want to sit down and talk about it or, or, or during this time of zoom chat or you know we, we all none of us are tired of zoom and you know but uh, we would love to be able to connect with you and thank you for taking time to meet with your person if it, I know it's a struggle some are gonna listen to this and have not met much uh, I met really well with the person I was supposed to meet with because we happened to see each other every Monday and Wednesday last semester it's not last semester and I'm like 
hey, we need to meet, <laughs> trying to be able to find that time. So we all have to fight through that. So I appreciate everybody doing that. And thank y'all for, for kind of setting this up for us to do. Thanks, Andy. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Andy. God, thank you so much for, for working through our hearts and our lives uh, to tell your story through our story. Uh, God, may we know that that is uh, for your glory, God, but for also for our good. And may this podcast bless those that listen to it. May they be encouraged. May they know that we are praying for them. And, and if we can help in any way, uh, God, help them to know that they can reach out to us and we would love to be able to uh, follow up and encourage them in any way we can. We thank you, God, in your name. Amen. Amen.